Good morning. This morning we are going to be reading Revelation 15. It's going to be on page 600, or in the large print Bibles, it's going to be on page 1138. So I'll give you a moment to find that. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last for which then the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image, and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked. And the sanctuary of the tent of, tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, good morning, Redemption North Mountain. Good morning. Uh, good to see you guys. Uh, sincerely, I am grateful each week to be able to worship with each of you. Uh, if it's your first time here, or maybe we've never met, my name is Xavier. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to preach this passage for us today. Uh, we're going to be going through chapters 15 and 16 as we continue this series through Revelation. And as we go through these two chapters, I just want to give a little bit of a precursor that we're going through some big topics. We're going to be focusing on God's wrath, and instead of getting into the weeds of the text, we're going to look at what the big picture is that God wants to teach the original readers and us. And I just want to take a moment just to pray to God and to ask that he would sincerely be kind to us in this moment and lead us through his word to see more of who he is. So let's just pray together before we jump in. So God, I just thank you that you consistently reveal more of yourself to us through your word. We just pray that today as we go through your word and uh, we look at a part of you that maybe sometimes is hard for us to talk about or even think about with you. And God, we just pray that you would be kind to us in this moment. God, that you would help us be able to embrace who you are in truth. And through that, that we would actually grow closer to you. God, we love you so much. Amen. So uh, one of the other redemption pastors, he's one of the pastors at Redemption Tempe, uh, gave me permission to share this story. Uh, when he was in his early 20s, he was living in and serving in a predominantly Muslim country. Uh, one day he was walking around and he met uh, a random person and they got into a conversation, him and this other man. 
as they got in the conversation, uh, they just talked about some random things. But at the end of the conversation, the man wrote down the address of his workplace and handed it to Jim, who is the pastor, and said, hey, why don't you come to my workplace tomorrow? We can continue this conversation. So the next day, uh, Jim woke up and he headed towards this man's workplace. He still remembers this to this day. He opens up the door of this building, and when he walks in, he started noticing some things about the room. He noticed on the walls that there was Arabic writings, words that he couldn't understand. He looked around, and he saw multiple men with large beards. They sat him down in the middle of the room and began to ask him questions. Where are you from? Why are you here? Where do you live? One of the men from behind him took a, a razor blade and put it to his neck. They continued to ask him question after question after question. One of the men lit this little match and waved it in front of his eyes. After that, they took some water and, and splashed it in his face over and over as they asked him question after question after question. Before he left, and once they were done asking their questions, they took the money that they, he had in his wallet, and they sent him on his way. He said he'll never forget this day, and surprisingly, in the middle of all of that, he was able to get a picture of that day. So, so let me just show you that picture of him at that day. Jim at a barber shop. <laughs> Jim just told this story the other day for his church as well. Um, all of us were probably imagining something way different than what this actually was. You're probably imagining some type of taken scenario where Jim was abducted. But Jim was just having a kind, friendly time with a Turkish man at a Turkish barbershop. Everything was true. They took a razor blade and put it to his neck as they gave him a fresh shave. They asked him questions just to get to know who he was. Where are you from? Why are you here? What do you do? They took this little match and they lit it and they would burn away the little grain hairs on his face. They took water to splash his face to make sure that the shave was fresh. And then all the money he had in his wallet was enough to pay for the shave. So then he <laughs> left. Now, for a lot of us, we were thinking of something very different, and that could have been for a lot of different reasons. Maybe it was because of the way I told the story. I'll be honest, I told the story like it was something different. Maybe it's because of the way that people in the East or people in majority Muslim countries are portrayed in a lot of the media and movies that we watch. Maybe it's because of personal stories that some of us have in this room. Maybe it's because of some of the details of the story that we're missing. But whatever the reason, the only way for us to understand the truth of this story, which was Jim getting a fresh shave, was we needed to have a perspective change through the details of the story. And I think many of us need the same thing when it comes to God's wrath. A lot of us here, it feels uncomfortable to talk about God's wrath. It's a weird thing. Some of us don't mention it because it doesn't feel like it aligns with God's love. Or maybe some of us talk about it a lot and for the wrong reasons. But some of us need new perspective on God's wrath. Because for us, maybe it's hard for us to digest Maybe it's because of the way that you've heard wrath talked about before. Maybe it's because of the way that wrath is portrayed in some of the stories that we've heard. Maybe it's because of some of the details that are missing in our perspective. 
for whatever the reason, the hope and goal of today is for us to have new perspective on God's wrath. Specifically, this is the big idea for today, that we want to see the depth of God's love in his wrath. That when we actually read this passage, we actually begin to see God's love in the middle of his wrath. So I want to jump in to chapter 15 and 16. Uh, The goal for today is this. I'm going to talk a little bit of the goal of God's work and how it relates to his wrath. And then I want to point out in chapter 16 three ways that God's wrath actually displays his love. So let's begin looking at chapter 15. To set up the scene, this is what's happening. John has been having these different cycles of vision throughout Revelation. We saw the seven seals, and then we saw the seven trumpets, and now we're seeing these seven bowls of wrath. And when he sees his vision, it starts off with something really unique. He sees all those who have conquered the beast. These are the people found in Jesus, and they're singing a song. So let me read this for us in chapter 15. It says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. I want you to notice this. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Uh, When I was taking time to read these two chapters, the thought that kept on coming into my mind is, what is the goal of all of this? What is the goal of all that Revelation is revealing? What is the goal of Christianity and knowing God? What is the goal of God's actions? Because I think if we can get the goal right, it will help explain what God is doing through his wrath. So I I kind of went back, I started thinking, I think all of us would agree with this statement. Just nod your head if you would agree with this statement. God wants what's best for us. Nod your head if you would agree with that. I I agree with that statement. God wants what's best for us. And we can even be more specific. God wants what's best for me. I I think that is very true for all of us. Now, the one problem is, I think that we all have different ideas of what's best for us. (laughs) God does want what's best for us. But that doesn't mean God wants what we want. The picture I get in my head is um, my dad is, he loves boxing. My dad, my stepmom, my brothers, they would say that they're a boxing family. My brother did boxing for years. And whenever there's fights on Saturday nights, they'll have them at their house. So my wife and I will drive over and we'll watch these fights. And I'm not the biggest boxing fan, so I don't really know what's happening too much until somebody gets knocked out. You're like, okay. But I do know that one of my favorite parts are the walkouts. Whenever they come out and they got all their gear and their songs playing, one of them has Lil Wayne for some reason there, and they start walking out, and then the same thing always happens. They go out, they get the Vaseline on their face, they walk around the ring, they go on their knees and they pray to God, please give me the victory. Then the second guy comes out, he has his song, he has his gear, he goes out, he gets the Vaseline on his face, he goes around the ring, then he gets on his knees, he goes, God, please give me the victory. And then only one of them wins. And you go, does God want what's best more for that guy? Like the guy who lost, I bet you he's thinking to himself, didn't God want what's best for me? I prayed to him. And then I got knocked out. I'm confused. And I think all of us have had situations just like this. We've prayed for a job. Or we've prayed for a victory. Or we've prayed for a success story. And it didn't happen. 
And it's not because God doesn't love us or because God doesn't want what's best for us. But I think that God isn't even thinking in the same categories that we are. So we have to ask ourselves, what's the goal for God? Because if God does what is best for us, then we have to look at his goal and his desires for us. The goal for God is this, to be glorified in us and through us. Verse 4 says this, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. God actually wants to take our eyes off of ourselves and place them on him. Through this, he transforms our lives into ones that glorify him through loving him and loving our neighbor. The goal isn't for us to get our way through God so that we get the glory, but for all the glory to be actually placed on God. Now, I'm going to be honest. I, I feel like I've heard this a ton throughout all my education through the Bible. And for me, it like, initially felt like God had some type of ego, that he wanted all the attention. And I didn't really understand why. Uh, and John Piper simplifies it really well with these three reasons. Reason number one is this. God is supremely valuable and supremely satisfying. We cannot even fathom the goodness of God. We get little glimpses of it in our world where we go, oh my gosh, I am experiencing God right now. But we can't even comprehend the value and satisfaction of God when we will be in his presence. He is supremely valuable and supremely satisfying. Reason number two is this. Receiving God as such is the only way we will find full and everlasting life. Everyone wants full and everlasting life, believers or not believers. And the only way for us to actually have this is if we actually embrace God for who he is. Therefore, and this is reason number three, his demand that we do so, give him glory in our life, is love, not egomania. If God knows that all satisfaction is found in him, that we find the way of life through Jesus, that we find the truth of life in Jesus, that we find the fulfillment of life in Jesus, then God's goal will be to lead us to a place of glorifying him. So if that's the case, God does want what is best for us. But what's best for us is him. So through our life, what he's going to be doing is leading us to a place where we actually embrace him for who he is. So if this is the reality, God's goal, and this is what's best for us, then this actually changes the lens that we need to look at God's wrath through to be able to see what is he doing here to bring himself glory and to display his love. So I just want to look through chapter 16 and point out three ways that God's love is displayed through his wrath and how they lead to his glory. Point one is this. God's wrath reveals his love for his creation through his justice. Let me just read verses 1 through 7 for you in chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of wrath of God. So the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. 
The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. And I heard the altar say, Yes, Lord the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. I think all of us would agree that we want to live in a world where all things are made right. Even on a personal level, I don't think any of us would be taken advantage of. This is a silly example, but there's not too many things that uh, frustrate me. I was just telling Josh this. I don't get frustrated by too much. But when I order food and I don't get everything I ordered, I don't know what it is in me, but it just, I just want justice. Like I just, the other day Josh and I are getting food. We go through a drive-thru and we order some food. They tell us, hey, pull up really quick. We'll get you your food in a second. So we pull up in front of the driveway. And they walk out with our food and they hand us the food. I hand it to Josh. He looks, he's like, oh, my chips, my chips aren't here. And I was like, do you want your chips? Like, it's not that big of a deal. I go, this is a really big deal. And I, so I get out the car. Like, I literally go out and I walk over to the drive. There's like a door that says employees only. I'm like knocking on it to see. No one's coming. I'm like, what? I go through the other door. I'm like, hey, you guys forgot the chips. I wasn't rude. I just wanted justice. Hey, you guys forgot the chips. We did? Yeah. Like, here's the receipt. I'm like showing them. They give me the chips. Boom. Justice. It's amazing. Like, I feel bad for Anna. Because if she gets food that's not right or I don't get food that's right, like, I'm going to drive back. Like, it's just, I don't know. There's something about it. And I think for all of us, like, if we're to be honest, there's probably small things in our life like that. That we're like, yeah, we just want it to be done right. Like, we just want things to be made right. But in the same way, I, I think all of us have big things in our life or things that we see out in the world that we want justice for. Like, just take a moment. Imagine a world where evil goes unpunished. We all want justice in this world. And many of us want justice for things that have happened in our own lives. People who have hurt us, people that have taken advantage of us, people that have betrayed us or sinned against us. I have a long list of people that have hurt me. I also have a long list of people that I've hurt. And there needs to be justice for both. Not just that, but all of us on our phones have this instant access to the evil in the world. And it stirs something up in us to say, like the worst part about the phone too is we can't do anything about it. All we can see is witness and go, this is horrible. We want justice for this. And God's wrath reveals that he loves us enough to bring justice into a broken world. Joseph Schumann says it well. God's wrath is his love in action against sin. God is actually patiently and correctly handling sin through his wrath. And he does this because he is righteous. 
we can trust that our loving God will bring righteousness into this world. We can trust that he will handle the sin and evil in the world rightly. And he will not just let evil go. And even though in many ways justice will not be on our terms, we could trust that God will make all things right. Matter of fact, before he makes all things new, he will make all things right. In us, around us, and in this world. So when we see things, things happen to us, things happen out in the world, we can trust the fate of this world into the hands of a good God. That in the end of all things, he will make all things right. And as we continue reading and seeing specifically how he actually lays out this wrath, we see some other parts of his love. That he's actually significantly patient as he pours out his wrath. Here's my second point for us. God's wrath reveals his patience with those against him. Verses 8 through 11 says this. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had the power over these plagues. And then it says this, they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. And then it says, they did not repent of their deeds. Uh, last week, Josh talked about hell, and if you weren't here, I, I would really suggest that you spend some time listening to that sermon. It, it was a really good just approach on explaining uh, hell. I think hell is, along with wrath, is the other really hard thing for us to grasp as believers. I think part of it is, and I can ask myself this, did people really get a chance to believe in Jesus? Like, you think about people's lives, did they really get a chance? And even as God leads through his just nature, through wrath, he does so graciously and filled with patience. One thing to notice here is that the punishment to these people is in relation to the killing of saints and worshiping against God. The punishment to them could be equal to what they did. So it could be death. But God has, ev and ev God has every right to do so. But God keeps on pouring wrath on them and not giving them death. And the question is, why? This isn't God's way of, like, giving them extra torture. Like, just think about this. If people are going to be eternally separated from God and eternally punished for sins, the most loving thing God can do is give them a glimpse of that reality to give them a chance to repent to him. Think about how loving that is of God. The purpose of God's wrath is to move the ungodly to repent. Notice the comments that are made. He pours out wrath, and they did not repent and give him glory. He still doesn't kill them. He pours out wrath, and they did not repent of their deeds. But God gave them every chance to turn to him, revealing this reality so that they can repent. Not, not to pay their debt or to fix themselves or to prove themselves to God, but simply to turn to Jesus, to confess that he's Lord, and they would be free from wrath. God gave them every chance to turn to him. No matter the depth of their offense, they had the opportunity to turn to him. Just to give a picture of this, I have a good friend that a couple months ago woke up in the middle of the night and his car alarm was going off. So he goes to the kitchen and grabs his keys and turns off the car alarm. 
goes back to sleep. And then right away, the car alarm goes off again. So he goes to the window, and he looks through, and there's a guy just in the middle of his car. So he, he's like, I don't know what to do here. So he starts knocking on the window. He's like, if I knock really hard, they're going to know I'm up, and they're going to leave. And they're just like, they, don't, they just ignore him. He's like, oh, my goodness. He goes outside. He's like, gets his, like, big boy voice. Hey, you need to get out of here. The guy has his full body in the window of the car. He, like, broke the window, full body. So he, like, backs up out of it. Looks at my friend and goes, hey, um, I lost my, my phone in your car. Could you help me grab it? <laughs> my friend's like, what? He's like, dude, you got to get out. I'm going to call the cops if you don't get out of here. He's like, but seriously, I, I really need my phone. <laughs> What's happening right now? Then his friend's like, dude, we got to go. And finally he leaves. And basically my friend found out it was like a TikTok challenge, I guess. If he had a certain year Honda, you can use like an iPhone charger and start the car. And they were trying to record themselves. And but what's funny about it is, like, they had no shame about it. There was no guilt at all. And the closer my friend got to them and the more that he was like, hey, like, what you're doing right now is going to have really severe consequences. There was like, that doesn't really matter to me. Like, God in his love is displaying more and more. He's getting closer and closer to these people. He's saying, like, hey. Like, I love you enough to give you an opportunity to have freedom from wrath. All you have to do is turn to Jesus. It's like, I, I want you to know what's coming. Like, there is this eternal separation from me. The sin in your life has due justice. But you can turn to me. And he gets closer and closer. And, and there's just, he's like, ah, I don't really want to turn to you. But God in his love continues to be patient. For them to turn to him and to repent. And this is the reason why. This is not the story for everyone. The good news is that there will be people that turn to Jesus. God's heart is consistent. He wants all people to come to him. And when we think about our own lives, or those, like just think about your own life. Most of us did not grow close to Jesus through seasons of prosperity. Most of us grow close to Jesus in seasons of suffering and pain. So God uses wrath like he uses suffering to bring people into repentance. I think of a story of somebody from redemption. It was his father-in-law. His father-in-law was a pastor for years and years and years until one day he showed up to church and his elders let him know that he didn't have a job anymore. Uh, him and his elders weren't agreeing with the direction of the church, so he got fired. Well, after that happened, he was hurt, and his hurt turned into bitterness, and his bitterness turned into hardness. And he never went back to church for 30 years. Uh, one day, he had a pretty bad stomach ache, and that turned into a doctor's appointment, and then that turned into a diagnosis. He had cancer. They told him that he was only going to have six months to live, but he only lived for eight more weeks. Now, here's the part of the story that is beautiful. When this man, who didn't step into church for 30 years, got cancer, he turned to Jesus while facing death. He apologized to the people in his life that he hurt. He wrote his own funeral sermon and picked the songs for his funeral. And the sermon and the songs were filled with the gospel and praising Jesus for his goodness. Everyone that knew him said he was a different man for those last eight weeks. 
cancer, something horrible that causes all types of pain and brokenness physically, emotionally, and spiritually. This former pastor said it was a gift from God. Because without that, he would have never given his life back to Jesus. So I want to be clear with what I am and what I'm not saying. If you're sick here or suffering, I am not saying that it's necessarily God's punishment on you. I don't think it's any of our role to try to claim exactly what is God's wrath versus just living in a really suffering world. But what I want to communicate is this. God's wrath, like suffering in our life, is used to open our eyes to the goodness, glory, and necessity of Jesus. To lead us to repentance so that we can glorify God and receive the full life through him. God wants people to know him and to glorify him and to know him because he knows full life comes from that. And often it is through the suffering and wrath and pain in our life that bring people to the place of repentance and awareness of Jesus. So no matter how we see God's wrath, we have to recognize that God's wrath, like all things, actually leads people to place their eyes on Jesus. Here's my last point for us is this. God's wrath reveals the significance of the work of Jesus on the cross. God's wrath reveals the significance of the cross. Let me read verses 17 through 21 for us. It says this. This is the last bowl of wrath. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountain were to be found. Great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plagues were so severe. Uh, in this last bowl, as I was reading it, it like immediately brought a picture to my mind. So if you think about the picture, the bowl is brought to the air, and then you hear this voice, it is done! And then the earth begins to shake. And it's like this exact reflection of what Jesus is doing on the cross. Like right before he goes to the cross, he's praying to the Father saying, I don't want to drink this cup! This cup of wrath that I'm about to drink. And he goes, and as he's on the cross, he actually drinks the entire cup of wrath. He bears all the wrath from God. And then what does he say in the book of John? It is finished. And what happens? The earth begins to shake. Like the same exact picture is displayed. And, and it makes me think about something. Somebody has to drink the cup of God's wrath. So like in this picture, it's Babylon, it's people that are running away from God, it's all the people that are worshiping the beast. In the Gospels, it's Jesus, but somebody has to drink the cup. We're supposed to drink the cup of wrath. But we could have freedom from that because of Jesus. Someone has to drink the cup of wrath, either us or Jesus. Neutrality here is not possible. There is no walking in the middle line. There's either this life with Jesus where we are completely free from God's wrath. Like completely free. We don't have to experience God's wrath at all. 
We get to completely experience God's love, joy, and peace because Jesus paid the full debt. Or we are against Jesus. Like For those of us that are in here that are still maybe trying to figure out where you stand with Jesus, it seems that the Bible communicates that apart from Jesus, there is still wrath to be paid for. And for all of us, wherever we are with Jesus, the awareness of God's wrath and freedom found in Christ should bring up something for us. If you're here and you believe in Jesus, the feelings and the reality that should come up for us is humility and gratitude. Wrath is what we deserve. Um, this is the only comparison I can think about, but Annalisa, years ago, uh, when she graduated college, I remember I, I took her out to dinner, and all of our family came. We went to barbecues. So all the family, there was a couple friends there. We were all in like this side room at barbecues. And everyone's eating and celebrating Anna. And as everyone's eating, I can't stop thinking to myself, this is going to be really expensive. <laughs> like, I, and I'm looking around, I'm like, it's my wife's graduation. I think I'm supposed to pay this? But I can't. Like, should I just be that guy that's like, yeah, uh, everyone's got their own, right? Like, I just, I didn't know what to do. So the waitress comes back. And I'm going to ask her. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's all paid for. I go, what? What do you mean? Like, yeah, um, yeah, someone here paid for it all. We, like, look around, and Anna's brother left early. And he walked up to the front and said, uh, hey, could you just give me the check for that? I'll pay for it for everyone. And didn't tell any of us. And to this day, I still feel both of those things. I feel a lot of humility and a lot of gratitude. I feel humility because I feel like I should have paid it. But I sincerely couldn't. But like, I seriously, I'm just humbled. And I'm grateful because I'm grateful that he was willing to do that. Like, this is what should come up for us towards Jesus. Oh, man, I should have taken God's wrath. But I couldn't. But Jesus took that for me. Gosh, I'm really humbled towards him and I'm grateful. Like, God doesn't ask us to do more now and prove ourselves to him, but to simply receive his free gift. Uh, for all of us here that are still trying to figure out where we are with Jesus, the two things that should come up are these. Curiosity and consideration. I don't want anyone here, if you don't claim Jesus as your Lord, to feel shame in this moment. And to feel like God is some boogeyman that's going to come get you one day. But I sincerely just want you to feel curious and considerate. Curious in the sense of asking these questions. Is this true? Like, does God really have wrath towards me? And does my sin that I've committed in my life need just action? Like, really just asking those questions. Okay, I have actually sinned in my life. And if God is just, he has to take care of that as well. And to be sincerely considerate, if this is the case, should I give my life to Jesus? Should I trust him? And the beauty of all of this for both sides is this. God does not ask any of us to pay up or to pay our debt or to prove ourselves to him. But he simply asks us to trust in Jesus, to confess that he is Lord in our whole selves. We see the depth of God's love in his wrath. I really do think that the wrath of God is something that all of us will have to continue to wrestle with in our life. 
But what we can know confidently is that his wrath reveals his love and his glory. That they're not against each other in some way. But we could actually see his love in the middle of his wrath. His wrath displays his ability to bring justice to a broken world. His patience displays his heart for all to be saved. And Jesus' finished work displays God's free gift of salvation and freedom from his wrath. So today, as we pray in response to this, I just want to pray that God would actually align us with his character. That he would align us with his justice in a broken world. That he would align us with his patience as we wait for him to return. That he would align us with his finished work that leads us to free life and full life in Jesus. With that being said, let me pray for us. As our Father, God, you really do uh, deserve all the glory, Father. You are good and kind to us. We did not deserve grace or full life, yet you provided it. And even your wrath is justified. We just pray, God, that you would align our hearts with yours. We just pray, God, would you please help us seek justice in this world with our small actions, with our prayers, with the way that we live. God, in our hearts, would you please provide us with patience from you, Holy Spirit. We really are anticipating your return so that we do not have to live in a world that is filled with corruption anymore. But we just pray that you would provide patience because the only reason we're waiting is you have more people to bring to you, Jesus. So God, would you help us just have that mindset that through your patience and your kindness and even through suffering and through your wrath, you're bringing people to repentance to you. And God, would you please help just align us with your good and finished work. Would you help us live lives of freedom and love through your power, Jesus? Would you help us submit to your authority and to your love over us? We thank you, God. Amen.